Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode, wherever in the world you are listening to us from, whatever platform you're listening to us on. As always, thank you so much for the support. Thank you for the kind messages and keep sharing this podcast and these episodes of people who you know would be interested in them. Uh, One of the things I really like about the way I, I set things up sometimes is that I really get the opportunity to focus and dive in on very specific topics and really flesh out on one particular area of the game. And and this is a perfect example of one of those topics because we're really gonna focus the bulk of our conversation today on just timeouts and timeout execution, something that we all do pretty much throughout the course of every game. And I think it's worth devoting an entire episode on just going and talking to my guest about what their procedures are in a timeout, what sort of things are discussed, how things are set up for out of the timeout and all the little ins and outs that seem to go into something that seems kind of simple at the surface, but we all know as coaches, there's a lot more going on to it than that. So really looking forward to kind of diving into this one and and kind of picking my guest's brain here. I'm very happy to be joined uh, by Westwood High School men's basketball coach and a fellow podcast host of his own. Uh, Coach John Combs is here joining us. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, very happy to, to be able to have you share some knowledge and, and really dive into this topic, as you mentioned uh, just before we started recording, that you feel maybe more well-equipped now after the past year that you've had. So this should be, uh, this should be pretty, pretty fun. Uh, Coach, I asked, like to ask every guest to start off with uh, about the basketball journey and the coaching journey. Sometimes they're intertwined, sometimes they're not. But what has your journey been and where has the game taken you that's uh, led you to where you're at right now? That's such a, a long Isn't it? question. <laughs> uh, it, it, it certainly is. I, I went to high school at a place called Irmo High School here in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And we were actually very, very good. We were so good that um, my, my senior year, we went 31-3. and three. I think we ended up 18th to 19th in the nation, won a state championship. Problem was, I was a, uh, it was not a problem, but I was a, a better student manager than I was a 16th man <laughs> on a 15-man roster. <laughs> but that allowed me, uh, as a student manager for two years on the varsity team, to allow me to become a student manager at the University of South Carolina under head coach Eddie Fogler. So uh, I spent four years as a student manager for Coach Fogler at the University of South Carolina, um, where we, you know, after I graduated, I spent three years as his graduate assistant, uh, director of operations or whatever the title was at the time. (laughs) And um, basically when Coach Fogler resigned, um, it also meant I resigned as well and had no idea what I wanted to do uh, exactly. I kind of wanted to stay in college coaching at the time, but there just wasn't many opportunities that Mm. um, I I just was available. So then I got into the route of high school coaching and I spent uh, three years as an assistant, then got my first head coaching job and 15, 17 years later, now I'm a uh, head varsity basketball coach at uh, I guess now four different places so it's been a it's been a really good journey I mean the game of basketball has been outstanding to me to get to work with you know so many great coaches and fortunate blessed to work with a lot of good players mm-hmm. uh, during that time so that that's the cliff notes version of the of the journey and it's it's interesting talking to coaches who've been in the game uh, a long time and coach for a long time. And in some respects, looking back, it's it's been a long time in the game. But then in other respects, it's like blink and all of a sudden, where did all the time go, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> it, it's, it's unbelievable. It just seems like yesterday I, I was in college. Yesterday, <laughs> we I was in my first head coaching job as an assistant role. And you just never know. Um, you know, 20 years ago, a guy that I was an assistant with and we, we separated ways 20 years later, he becomes my principal kind of out mm-hmm. of the blue. It's just, it's crazy how 
this game goes and the opportunities that that it gives you and the different places it takes you. Oh, yeah, excellent. C- couldn't agree more of all the all the opportunities that that we get through the game for sure. Uh, before we get into the topic, I know that you are um, very much involved with uh, the South Carolina uh, Basketballs Association, as I mentioned before, that you you do podcast work and mm-hmm. um, I believe you do some writing as well. And and what I what I was curious about is by by being involved in all of these different aspects and. Uh, talking about or working uh, through the game and talking to different people and all these different avenues. How has all of this, uh, these different avenues and different opportunities that you have had, how has it kind of shaped your coaching philosophy or what you do as a coach by having all those different opportunities and things you're involved in? Well, I think anytime you're exposed to more people, different coaches and different things of learning, you can't help but grow and take things from it. You know, as you said, me working with our South Carolina Basketball Coaches Association allows me to see what other people do, talk to coaches all the time about the challenges they face. How do they run a program? What do they do? And, you know, I was, I grew up as one of those people, I didn't want to complain about something unless I had a, an idea to fix it or an idea to make it better. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what led me to be a part of our coaches association. Cause I, I wanted to help grow our game. I wanted to help make it better. And, you know, it's just been, you know, if I've got an issue, I've got a, any number of coaches I can contact in a heartbeat that who can give me some ideas on how to do things, how to run a particular play, a particular drill or, I've got a player that I'd like to get recruited. Do they have a contact? So while there's a lot of work and things to be done, I think it opens a, a lot of doors and opportunities uh, for me. And out of curiosity, uh, I'm just kind of curious about the the lay of the land, so to speak, with the, uh, the, the kind of the state of um, maybe basketball in South Carolina or the things that you see brought up or hear brought up in, in discussions um, just in your experience, and I know probably everything of COVID may have <laughs> changed some of that over the past few years, but what, what are some of the reoccurring themes that uh, you, you see brought up in conversations? Or are there any things in particular that coaches are uh, consistently asking about or curious about or, or having a discussion about? Well, one of, the, one of the prominent things we've had recently has been trying to add a shot clock. <laughs> I, the, I, I, I was wondering game. if that was one. <laughs> No, that was a, it's been a very big topic. Yeah. And we've actually just recently got past a provisional trial period of a couple of years in our state where we can use a shot clock for showcase events and tournaments. Hmm. Now, there's nothing, it's not mandatory. You don't have to use it. It doesn't mean after two years that we're going to have it uh, full time, but it's a step in the right direction for us the way we see it. It gives an opportunity for it to be seen. I I think as a whole, our state is very supportive, uh, especially our basketball coaches are supportive of a shot clock. Now we do have some very good basketball, and I am for a shot clock. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some coaches, very good coaches in our state who are kind of up in the air about it. And there are some that are just, they they don't like it. They don't think it's needed right now. Um, I'm one of those that believes that I think it can help grow the game over time and can make things better, can help make players better. I think it can make us coaches better or force us to be better if we want to be better uh, as well. So that, that's really been a, a big topic. And, you know, every year something may be a little bit different. Uh, it depends on what's going on with our state association. I mean, we, we were trying to grow the game, which I'm glad the NCAA has allowed us to have these June scholastic events. And our state has been really good where we have one scholastic event where – in June, where college coaches can come out and recruit our players, where in the nice. past years, um, you know, we, it's only been going on now for two out of the past three years. Before that, college coaches couldn't come out in June, couldn't come out and watch high school basketball. They could only go out in July and watch AU basketball. So we're very fortunate in South Carolina that we're able to put those events together and, and we have college coaches come out. So those are probably the two biggest things people have been talking about recently. Uh, I, the, the shot clock seems to be everywhere, doesn't it? Conversations springing up at every association. I know it's such a such an issue here in, in Arizona where I am as well. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. I'd be curious, you know, your thoughts about it. I, I just feel like it's, it's inevitable. And I feel like the, the more that we kind of like fight against it or try to try to, you know, 
talk about it or try to make these arguments against it. I just feel like we're just kind of inhibiting progress or almost inhibiting the inevitable. And it would just be better to uh, have more collaborative discussions about when it happens and, and, and work to make that happen. But I don't know. That's just my thought on it. No, I, I completely agree with you. I, there, there will be a shot clock mandated by the NFHS at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thankfully now the NFHS has given us each state the ability to adopt it. It's just a matter of time because before it becomes a full-time thing. And we've always said, you know, in South Carolina, we were like, well, we would rather be on the positive end of getting a shot clock as opposed to being forced to get a shot clock. Um, you know, I understand there's certain issues you've got to address. I understand it's a cost. I understand that, you know, a lot of people, uh, I think it's an excuse, but it's something you got to address about finding someone to work the shot clock. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a hard enough time finding someone to watch the, to do the regular game clock properly. <laughs> and I get, and, and I get it. I mean, I yeah, no, it's to, real. To little, that, it is real, but I do believe it's something we can figure out with a little bit of time, a little bit of planning. And, I, I really just think in the long run, it will make the game better. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and I completely agree that there are absolutely logistical concerns and things that have to work, work itself out with uh, operators and things like that. But as you said, like it is, it is going to happen. And I think the more coaches who are aware that it's going to happen and who are prepared for it, They'll be a, it'll be a lot better for them when that transition comes, when it actually does happen. They'll be kind of that many steps ahead, right? I, I completely agree with you. It's going to happen. It's just, is it going to be sooner rather than later? Mm-hmm. So as we move on to the topic of timeout execution, this is such a broad topic in some sense, but there are a lot of nuances involved with it. And so in a very general sense, um, there's a lot of ways we can take this question, but let, let's just, just kind of talk in a general sense about your timeout procedures. So, so when you call timeout, are there any uh, like non-negotiables regardless of time and situation that are, are kind of required uh, for, for your players in terms of what happens when a timeout is, is called on the floor? Well, I will say, you know, the first thing is I always give my team the ability to call the first timeout of a game. I will tell them if they want to use one, they, they've got the first if they want to use. I want them to feel like that they have the ability to want to call one, even if it's in the first half. They can call the first one. After that, I'm the one that needs to be able to call it unless, you know, there's a certain situation where I tell them, hey, if you any problem, call a timeout. So I want them, like there might be a situation if there's a loose ball, uh, if they want to dive on the floor and, and call it, you know, in the first half, I, I want to re- I, I want to reward the effort, even if it's for the first. I don't want to start burning a bunch of timeouts <laughs> yeah. uh, or, or early, but I'm okay with if I'm rewarding effort and hustle for the first timeout. I, in my head, I, I, I'd like to try to limit no more than one timeout in the first half. I mean, I came from, like I said, I spent seven years with Coach Eddie Fogler at the University of South Carolina, and as a whole, he was fairly conservative with his use of timeouts early. Um, so to me, those are the most important things initially. And is that something you would think, because to me, uh, that, that, that is not a, a common, uh, <laughs> common thing. I, I know a lot of coaches play, play their timeouts very, very tight to the vest or close to the vest and, and, and don't really give uh, players a lot of uh, a control over that. But has that been something that you've, you've really kind of developed o- o- over the years? Or was there kind of like one particular like light bulb moment where like, oh, this actually does work? Um, I'm, I'm just kind of curious as to whether there was any trial and error on that or like once you said it, it was like, this is how it's going to be and it's worked and, and things have been good. Well, I wish I could give you this magical thing that I came <laughs> up with, but th- th- this was something fairly recent, probably within the last, I say recent now, you know, five, we're talking five to eight years I've been doing this. I haven't always done that with my particular uh, career, but I would say as a whole, the, the guys don't use the timeout very often. So if I give them, if I tell them I give them one, I, for example, I think we played 20, I don't know, 26 games this past year. Mm-hmm. They might've actually called the, first time out once or twice they don't do it a whole lot I just give you know I, I like to try to give them a little bit of feel like they have a little bit of ownership in it because 
there are going to be times when they need to be able to call a timeout because sometimes yeah. late in the game, you know, especially if you got a great crowd in there, the officials aren't going to be able to hear you or won't hear you, depending on the way you look at it. Um, so I think to give the, the players the ability to think they can do that sometime, I, I personally think is a good thing. But no, it's not something I've done my entire career. It's, it is uh, just a, a way of, I, I kind of think of it almost like a little bit of like empowerment for them or ha- give them like a little bit of like control over the situation. And, and, and I feel like that could be something that could be potentially helpful, especially if I'm, I'm sure you could speak to this, if there's been situations where um, if, if you've called timeout and, and your players just maybe just needed to regroup or just sort of like something happened and they just kind of need a get together and kind of huddle up a little bit and then kind of go from there could just be something that, that, that is really empowering for them and kind of lets them have, you know, maybe that much more control over what's happening on the court. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, that's why I do it now. I will tell you one thing I've tried and I haven't been as successful at doing this, but I heard this. um, It might've been from Brendan, sir, a podcast that he did or coaching clinic. It was that, they talked about how they give someone gave their team the ability to call one timeout during a practice. Oh, I've heard you know, of maybe that. Yeah. They, yeah, they thought, well, practice isn't going well. And, and I've tried to give my team the ability to say, hey, you can call a timeout because if I've got to call a timeout in practice, it's not going to be good. We're going to be doing something y'all don't want to be doing, <laughs> running. And I, I think, you, as you're right, it's an empowerment. It lets guys kind of feel the room and maybe a, a way to you know, stop what they're doing, try to regroup and uh, try to get back on track. Now, I have not been – I've done that some, but that hasn't been a normal part of our practice recently. But I just really do believe in trying to give the guys some empowerment. And, and, and two, also, it, it, I, I like to try to figure out early, who can I trust with it? Yeah. Because it's like anything. If, if, they, if they abuse the privilege or <laughs> use the, uh, abuse the idea, then I'll just tell them, man, stop that. Nah. But – for the most part, I've been fortunate that my teams, when they've called that first time out, I have not had a problem with that whatsoever. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's really cool. That's, that's a really interesting idea. And yeah, I definitely have heard of the uh, timeout in practice before. And, and it makes sense. You know, it's better uh, for, for them to call it to regroup rather than <laughs> you being the one to uh, <laughs> tell them that there's a timeout. Because like you said, they, they might not like what's coming next. Um, so mm-hmm. I every coach I feel like kind of has their own procedure of, of what works for them in terms of, okay, we called timeout. They're coming to the bench. Some have a procedure of how everybody sits and how everybody sort of aligns themselves and, and what they do. Obviously it might be a little bit different if it's a 30 or a full, but is that, is that something that's important to you? And if so, like kind of what's, what's the setup of, of, of the procedure once uh, the players are making their way to the bench? Well, for me, it's about, you know, I always, generally every time I initially call timeouts, the first timeouts are going to be 30-second timeouts. Um, Unless it's late in the game and I haven't used any and I just feel like we need a a long rest. Um, But with 30-second timeouts, we have to stand, stand close to our bench. Um, We we have, you know, we have student trainers that they're instructed to bring water so we don't waste time with there, try to make it to where it's not uh, spilling on the floor. But I want the guys that are in the game which that does, it's unbelievable how many times just even spilling water on the court happens. And yeah. you know, you're like, what are you doing? You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, you know, and then it causes all courts of problems. But uh, I try to have all the guys that are in the game that they're, they're standing directly in front of me. And the guys that aren't in the game on the 32nd are kind of huddled behind me. Because, uh, you know, every once in a while, I mean, I, I will fully admit that when everybody's gotten together, I, I'll forget who's in the game. And I'm sitting there looking at which – maybe I, I told one person to go do something and realize, coach, I'm not in the game. Oh, in, well, yep. who, who's in the game? <laughs> I mean, that's just as honest yep. as I could be. Been Sometimes there. I'm like, oh, uh, that's, that's my bad. I'm sorry. And then by the time you realize the mistake that you made, the 30-second timeout's yep, over. Then they're back out there. Yeah. Then they're back out there. So I've always had them stand right in front of me. Now, of course, when it's a full timeout, they sit. It, if you, uh, everybody that was in the game, you sit, everybody that's sitting, stand up, stand behind. Uh, so to me, those are, that's, I, you know, that's as about as regimented as I get. And of course, in a full timeout, they said, I always like to have, if the players want to say something to themselves first, they talked amongst themselves. I try to talk to our coaches, you know, quick huddle. Hey, all right, what do you want? What do you see? 
try to give them a few things, and then our coaches break, and then we go into the players. So the timeout gives the players just a few seconds to maybe they want to say something to each other. Maybe they just cool down. And it gives me just a little bit of time to talk to my coaches and then go talk to the players. And to kind of follow up on that point, I know one of the interesting, almost uh, psychological brain science type type aspects of the timeout is just how much information could a, a player be able to take in, process, and then apply from what's being said in a timeout, especially if they're you know tired or it's a stressful situation. And so... In terms of what you, I, I know you mentioned how you like to have your your players have the opportunity to talk, especially you know if it's a full timeout situation. But how much do you think, in your opinion, you could actually effectively communicate with your players that they would then be able to actually take and apply? Like I don't know if there's an actual like magic number you can think of, but is there like a, a limit you think to how much you could convey to your players before they're just not going to be able to process it? Well, a famous coach in our area is a guy named Coach George Glimp. George Glimp was head basketball coach at Eau Claire High School here in town. That He was Jermaine O'Neal's high school coach. Coach Glimp also was an assistant with the Knicks, the Trailblazers. He's one of the – we consider one of the godfathers of basketball here in South Carolina. He had a saying that was called KYP, know your personnel. And at the end of the day, you need to know your players. What can they handle? What can they not handle? We've all probably had players that when you call a timeout, you tell them everything, they look at you, yes, sir, yes, sir, I got it, sir. They go out and then they just do something completely different from what you do. Then you've got other guys that, you know, you could give them a couple of options. They'll read it and do it great. So the first thing is you've got to get a great handle on what your, what your guys can do. I mean, that's the one thing that time coaching has taught me is every group I've ever had has been very different. Even down to a guy at the beginning of the game, you can tell him that it's great. But towards the end of the game, he gets a little tired. He's done. You know, yeah. so you can't maybe give him different you know, options. Then you you go back and there's been many times um, when I've gone through my what I said at the timeout and they go out and they screw up the play and I get upset, then I go back, think about what did I exactly say? And I think about exactly what I said and I go back and think about what they did and they did exactly what I said mm -hmm. or just our communication wasn't as clear. And I, that's where I, you know, I realize as a coach, every group you're going to have is very different. Although one thing I took from, Coach Fogler and, and other and Coach Tim Whipple, who I worked for, or I was a student manager for at Irmo High School, you know, you, 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 it's difficult to give guys something in a timeout in which you haven't practiced. Yeah. If you're trying to get them to do something you haven't practiced, you better be able to explain it extremely well and then probably not expect that it's going to go the way you explained it or the way it's thought of in your head. Um, so my best advice to that is man, you practice with your guys. I try to figure out what can they handle? What can they not handle? How much can you give them? You know, are they good with making reads? Do you got to spell it out? And at the end of the day, sometimes guys, you just, you can't do much with them. Uh, anything different with timeouts because they're, they're just not really good at reading the situation. I, I, I think one of the, really interesting things that you just mentioned about is about, you know, what are you like specifically asking them to do and, and, and the way to clearly communicate with players? Because I, in preparation for this conversation, I recalled a story of, of when I called a timeout and this was when I first started coaching and I used some vague direction about probably like upping intensity or something like that. And <laughs> I remember, I, I, I don't think it was more than two plays later, one of my girls on defense just like, fouled someone and just was like well I don't know I didn't know what you meant coach so I just was more aggressive and I was like oh no I didn't exactly communicate what yeah. it is I, I wanted you to do there but you're right like for some of your players like they, they need to know like specifically what it is that they're asking to do and then some like you can give that you can give them the options and it's we only we only have so many timeouts right we don't want to we don't want to waste uh waste time on you know vague directions that don't really communicate anything oh you're absolutely right that's why i'm a big believer you've got to practice those things i mean that was one thing when we had our covid year two years ago where uh, two years ago i guess the 2020 
the 2020, 2021 season, we only got yeah. 14 games in them. Mm-hmm. And we weren't able to do anything over the summer. We didn't, we weren't able to have any scrimmages. We had very little practice. And I, I remember the first couple of games, like I just didn't feel good when we, when we did timeouts because I realized I hadn't practiced it a whole lot. We mm-hmm. didn't spend a whole lot of time in practice working in timeouts. I didn't call a timeout over the summer because we didn't play any timeout. We didn't play any scrimmage games, anything. Yeah, right. So, and then you're trying to figure out what these guys could do. So to me, things like that, you, you just, you try to understand what your guys, uh, you know, that's why I think uh, I'm a big believer in having common terminology. You know, make sure you're all on the same page with the, your different phrases, your different screens and looks and the shots that you're looking for. Because if you have a common uh terminology which you use i think you can be more efficient with your words and to, to add to that just to kind of get your your thoughts on that you know and I, I feel like for a lot of coaches and I've, I've been there too and there's nothing wrong with that just just the art of or the act of calling a timeout that there's a reason for it and and a lot of times i feel like our players understand why that timeout's being called if you know another team is you know, going on a run or we're coming out really flat or there, there's some situation that we need to respond to and that calling that timeout could be something where, you know, your players are, you know, they could be kind of nervous. They could be kind of tired. They can kind of see the scoreboard and think like, whoa, what just happened? This other team went on a run. And I feel like having that common language, language that they already understand or already are familiar with doesn't like overload them, especially if they're already kind of like mentally and physically a bit frazzled. I'd be curious if, if you would agree with that. No, I, I certainly would agree with that. I think, you know, you, you call a timeout, there's any number of reasons, but one of the reasons is if you see your team's getting out of character, if they are doing things that just aren't what you're thinking they should do, or you're just doing things that, you know, body language is bad, uh, you just see they're not responding to the challenge. I mean, you know, sometimes they do need a timeout where you just chew them out, <laughs> where you just you, you regroup. And sometimes you got to call them a timeout, calm them down, get them to understand game's not over. Let's settle down. Let's get back on track. And I go back to what Coach George Glenn said, KYP, know your personnel, know what your team needs. Um, but, no, I completely agree with you. And you mentioned uh, in one of your responses earlier about communicating information or, or in, in some instances, drawing something up, you know, if whether it's a out of bounds play or, or some sort of um, you know, scheme or quick hitter that you're trying to run out of a timeout. How important is this kind of balance of uh, drawing something up for your players to run, you know, getting on the whiteboard and, and a timeout and drawing something up for them versus just giving them other forms of verbal direction that, that you don't necessarily need to go to the whiteboard on. Is there, has there been some kind of uh, balance that you found or one, one sort of method that, that you found maybe works better than the other, depending on the situation? I guess, Coach, when, when are you getting out the whiteboard, drawing something up versus, you know, just talking to your guys? Well, you know, if you're doing anything, and it probably goes back to the time score situation, the yep. players and, you know, some of your older guys that are a little bit more seasoned, you probably don't need to get out the whiteboard. You could just talk them through it if you have a good rapport. But, you know, if maybe there's just a little, if you see that they're not executing a set properly or you see a defense is playing one particular way, and you want them to run just a little bit different or set a screen at a little bit different angle, you know, that's where I, I, I get the whiteboard out. Because there's been times I've realized I didn't bring the whiteboard out with certain guys. And then I go through it and realize I made a mistake because I've got to show them exactly what that looks like. And more times than not, I, for me, I think it's better that I do have uh, the whiteboard out and diagram it because I, I just think it's for most guys, they need to see it. Because you might be crystal clear in your head what they should do. But if it's a tough game and maybe they just missed two or three shots, they may not be completely focused. So if you get the whiteboard out and show them exactly where they need to stand and where they need to go, you know, I, I think that's always, a, you know, it's less for them to think about. So I, I'm a big believer that you probably should do the whiteboard more times than not. And it's, it, it could be a little bit, um, 
I guess, I don't know if comforting is the right word, but it does make it very like explicit and very clear, like this is the action you need to do. And I feel like by being able to almost kind of spell it out for them on the whiteboard, it, it just maybe kind of allows the player just to kind of slow down and, and kind of not get overwhelmed by all the other things that are happening and maybe just completely focus on whatever their particular assignment is in this particular instance, whether it's in the offense or the defense and just kind of zero in on that and maybe give them something to just kind of refocus their attention on. Um, and I, I feel like that could be really beneficial. But then, like you said, right, some players, they just need kind of a, a little talk to and then just being told something and they're ready to go. So as you mentioned, right, it just kind of comes down to your personnel and knowing who they are. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And of course, it's what do you practice? Like in practice, do you use a whiteboard? I mean, I think that's really important. You need to be able to do that some in practice because – if the only time you're using a whiteboard to show the guys or anything or when you're down to and you need to go get a bucket, they're not used to that. You, they, I think they, some guys, I mean, some guys, like I said, could pick it up right away. And let's be real, too. Sometimes at coaches, I've realized there's been times I've drawn up things and realized going out of the timeout, I was like, yep, that was not I – did, I did that awful. I, I didn't explain it particularly <laughs> well. This, is, this isn't going to go well. Um, so you, you, I think you need to, if you're being real with yourself, I think you need to practice it because, and then you need to practice it in 90 seconds in 30 seconds. Yeah. A lot of us can drop some great sets in, you know, five minute seg segment of practice, but can you do it in 90 seconds and articulate it at a big time moment? And that's why I think it's really, really important to practice that with your players. I have definitely fallen victim of being the coach who's trying to draw up some, you know, quick hitter on the whiteboard with the players who weren't familiar with it. And I promise you, coach, if I had given you my whiteboard after I had drawn that up, you wouldn't even know what sport I was, I was coaching it. <laughs> it looked like some sort of foreign language. Cause I have, you know, the lines going everywhere, X's every, like it, 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 was a it was a complete mess and it kind of showed me one and I think that you made a great point about you know make sure the whiteboard is something you use familiar but at least in like 90% of my experience maybe even much higher than that end of the game situation for me is not the time for me to try and draw up something new for my players I I don't I've never really had it work but maybe you've had more success but I I, I can't draw up that you know miracle uh, game winning play involving a lot of action that my players aren't used to at the end of the game uh that that just for me personally no coach you're you're right if if i've got to draw up a play that we've never worked up at the end of practice or at the end of the game to win it and we haven't worked on it that's bad news to me now i've, I've certainly tried it before because you, <laughs> you know there's times when things have come up and you had to do something different but hopefully the at the end of the game may be just to reinforce where to set a screen yeah. or where to attack a certain point on a ball screen or where a guy might be open, you know, just to give them a visual. Because there are certain guys that are just definitely visual learners that need uh, to see it. And I, I think sometimes a reminder, you know, when you watch them, you realize, you know, they're, they're kind of staying in the right place, but maybe they're not coming off a screen just right. And you show it to them a little bit different on the whiteboard. I, I think that can that can really help. Um, everything is about, about this question, I know is kind of dependent on situations and there's no necessarily right answer to this, but in your experience as somebody who's been in the game for a long time, what, what are your kind of thoughts in general about calling a timeout when uh, the other team is, is on a run? Um, and how do you kind of, in your mind, go through the... Uh, the balance of letting your players kind of play through it and kind of work through it versus like, Oh no, I, I got to call a timeout and, and, and make something happen here and slow things down. Well, I think part of it is a, a trial and error, I guess, with your team, how do they respond? I mean, you know, maybe you realize early on in the year that maybe you made a mistake and realize you, you should have called a timeout early. So, okay, well maybe you don't call it then, but your next time, if you, if there's maybe, you know, four straight baskets, you know, you go from a tie game to now you're down six or eight, you know, early and you, the body language is bad. And that's when I would, especially if it's the first time out, you call the first one. Um, if you've got a, a veteran team, um, maybe you can let them play through it, especially if you know that they're, you know, you're maybe, you know, part of it is 
you're you're not getting bad shots. You're not even playing all that bad. They're just hitting their shots. Yeah. And if you see that their body language is good and they're still doing the things you want, then I'd let them play through it. To me, it goes back to, are they getting out of character? Is their effort level worse? Is their execution of what they're doing worse? If it's worse, then I think you, that's one of those things you want to try to correct as soon as possible. You know, especially if it is a, maybe you're playing a team that's much better than you and you're worried that maybe your team might be intimidated a little bit. Uh, I might err on trying to get that uh, shut down sooner um, rather than later. But if they're just, you know, the other team's just hot, I, I try to let my guys play through it as much as possible early on. You mentioned this a couple of times, so I wanted to to kind of ask it to you explicitly. You, you talked about the idea of, of um, your players, if they get out of character, how that may prompt a, a decision on your part. So to kind of ask it explicitly, when you when you think about the idea of, you know, just kind of your program building or team culture, what what is the character that that you like to uh, kind of build within your program? What, what does it, I guess, look like when your team is playing within their character? Well, it comes down to, you know, let's say another team goes on a run. They hit a couple of shots. Well, mm -hmm. my expectation is when we get the ball back on offense that we might be a little bit more deliberate than normal to get a really good shot for us. And of course, that depends on who's in the game, who we're playing. But if we come down and try to, you know, answer with a quick three, to me, that's not what we're trying to do. Now, if it's a quick three that's wide open by our best shooter, that's one thing. But if it's a quick three off of transition by a guy that shoots 19% from three, <laughs> then we need to, all right, we need to back up. That's Those aren't winning plays. You know, I'm a real big believer. We talk about in our program quality of shot. I try to make it as simple as possible. You know, we have, you know, you can get a grade of a zero, one, two, three, or four. A four is when you get fouled. And I think that is you want a possession of a four because you want to get fouled. If you get fouled more times than not, you're going to probably win the game. To me, a three is what I call a very good shot. A two is an average shot. One is a bad shot. And a zero is a turnover. So when we're in a situation where the other team's making a run, well, we need to start getting grades of three or higher to try to stop that run. If we're coming down after getting scored on a couple of times, jacking up, you know, a one or, you know, just a very average shot, then to me that's out of character for what we're trying to do. You know, are we executing our offense or game plan? Are we running a particular set or are we just, you know, what is our effort like? You know, those are some things that I'm looking at for our character of our team. Are we, you know, are we doing what we need to do from that perspective? Has the – a uh, concept of kind of rating shots. How how long has that kind of been in your 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 coaching toolbox? How long have you been been doing that sort of thing for? You know that that is one thing I got from working with Coach Eddie Fogo at the University of South Carolina. I mean, that's one thing that we'll do. You know, as a segment where we grade the quality of shot. We don't even grade whether or not it goes in. It's all about what is your quality of shot, and you can do that as an offensive thing and a defensive thing. I think it works really well if you feel like your team isn't taking particularly good shots, um, you know, I, you know, and that to me, that's the common language, you know, that you start talking about with your players. Hey, what, what, what grade would you give that shot? Mm -hmm. uh, that'd be a two. That'd be a one coach. Yeah, that's right. That wasn't a very good shot. And, and they start understanding it. And you also try to get your guys to understand uh, while that might be a grade of a three, a really good shot for that person, this other person, it might be the exact same shot, but it's a, bad grade because they can't shoot from out there yeah you know and if you get them to understand that concept then it leads it into all right after a time out here we should be able to always get a grade of three or higher because we're coming out set what we're trying to do with the specific purpose something that um, we're looking for but I think the grading of shots that's something I've done most of my career and you know some some teams needed a little bit more than others and I think it's a really good uh, thing to address, especially if you don't like the quality of shots uh, that your team is getting. And it's <laughs> it, it kind of goes back to what you mentioned earlier about in a timeout procedure, right? About being able to kind of communicate and, and speak in, in a language that they understand. And so when you talk about, you know, the type of shots you want to get up and, and, and making good shots, they already kind of have that embedded in their brain that they know like, okay, we're looking, you know, to get a three or if I can to get a four, you know, type of shot. They already have that 
knowledge in their mind about what that sort of means to like play within their their skill set and the type of shots they in particular should be looking at and so they're they're hopefully right in a perfect world it kind of limits the guesswork of you know what they're trying to accomplish on offense or what type of shots they're supposed to be looking to get out of that timeout well yeah i mean that's our goal as a as a coach to try to get them to understand i mean i think it's the number one thing to get them to understand what is a quality shot and what isn't a quality shot you get them to understand, you know, when you do drills with them and where you compete, competitive drills where, all right, this red team here is going to get five possessions. The black team is going to get five possessions. The team that's got the highest wins. And then they'll also see the value. When you get a zero in a possession, I mean, that's hard to overcome. So you think about it in a regular game. When you turn the ball over, that's hard. to. You get too many zeros, too many turnovers. <laughs> those things are hard to overcome. And we try to get our guys, when we do those drills, a grading shot, we just, I mean, there's times a guy can get a layup and he misses it, but we still get a grade of four because more times than not, that shot's going to go in. You get layups more times than not, those are quality shots that are going to go in and you're going to give yourself the best opportunity to win. And to me, that's really big to try to get the culture of your team to understand what is a good shot and who isn't a good shot. Now, it might take a while. I mean, I, you know, some guys think that uh, an outside shot from threes is a, is a grade of three for them. But, I mean, it <laughs> takes a while. This is where you got to bring stats into it. Yeah. You know, later in the year, uh, dude, you're 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 two of thirty from three. I mean, that's not good. And most guys, once they see that, they understand. They under they, they most ninety five percent of the people. Yeah. Will understand. Uh, yeah, maybe that's not a good shot for me. And, and then my mistake, then our issue is if they don't understand, then that's our bad as a coach is for allowing them to stay in and play if they're shooting that bad. And I think a good thing about that, about having the stats and charting that thing is it definitely keeps the the kid from thinking that like you're picking on them or you just don't like them personally. It's just, it's all just, you know, this is what the numbers say and this is what the situation is. And it kind of lets the player, I, I, I suppose, also know like, you know, if this did get better or you work on this, then here's what you could do and these shots that are a one for you could move up to you know a two or a three but right now this is what the numbers say and it's it's very um unbiased and and takes away like i said the the kid thinking that you know you're just picking on them or don't like them right oh completely i mean and our guys understand i will get hey if you're shooting 40 percent from three but during the course if you shoot 50 shots from three and you shoot five just awful I'll live with five awful yeah. shots if you're shooting 40% from three. And then I get our guys to understand that. I will give them freedom with accountability, mind you. You've got to be able to, you know, make a certain percentage. You know, for me to the three-point range, you know, you, if you're 33%, you know, I always make them understand 33% from three is the same as shooting 50% from two. And, uh, you know, if they kind of understand that point from a point perspective, per possession perspective, you know, if you make a certain clip, I will give you a lot of freedom with how you shoot because to me, you've earned it. Now, when you start missing a lot and your percentage goes way down, then we've got to, we've got to address that. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of going back to, you know, circling back to the, the whole timeout, you know, concept and, and that, that'd be a really great time to, you know, if you see it as a coach, right. That you're, players are you know getting good shots up and you know they're just not going in you can you know give them that little talk right you know just like keep shooting like you know like the the numbers will work themselves out and, and sometimes that's what your players need and I've had good shooters who you know they get into slumps and they just need a little bit of uh you know reassurance that you know they need to keep shooting and they need to keep attacking and things will work out and sometimes those are the most productive timeouts that I have Oh, absolutely. And for me, it also goes both ways. If the other team is hot, you know, if they're like you know, six of eight from three and they weren't like great looks, they're just making tough shots. You just tell the guys, hey, let's just survive for a little bit longer. They're not going to continue shooting 75% from three. And, you know, that's things you practice. Guys will buy into it and, and they'll stay strong, you know, with the point. At least that that is the hope with. I mean, I, I, I'm i not a completely stat driven on everything, but mm -hmm. You know, over the course of time, I mean, you know, like I said, guys aren't going to shoot 75% from three. I very rarely had a team do that against me. 
And yeah. you get guys to understand that and not get too emotional about one specific aspect of the game. Um, you know, one other phrase Coach Fogel would always say was the cream rises to the top over 40 minutes of a game. Or, you know, high school for us is 32 minutes. I try to tell that to our players. Get them to calm down. Okay, hey, this, this six-minute stretch here wasn't good for us. But over time, it will bear out. And sometimes you might need to call a timeout to get the guys not to be too discouraged mm-hmm. um, by that, to get them back on track. So, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Or, you know, give them a few adjustments they, they need to make to try to get things back on track. Yes, uh, completely agree. Uh, now, most coaches, uh, they have a procedure in place. And again, this is all dependent on time and situation of what they like to do when when the other coach uh, calls a timeout. And I know that there's some coaches who are in the habit of like, oh, when the other coach calls a timeout, we're going to switch up our defense on them or we're going to, uh, you know, kind of always have this kind of as a little bit of like a rule or a bit of a procedure that we like to do whenever the other coach calls a timeout. Um, is that something you like to do? Do you kind of look to, you know, play that chess match of changing defensive looks or what's kind of your general strategy? And again, there's so many different things that could happen and reasons why the other coach is calling a timeout. So I'll leave this open-ended on purpose, but what is kind of your your strategy or what, do, what is your procedure, the way you have your conversation with your guys look like uh, when it's the other coach calling a timeout? Well, <laughs> You know, it, it, it does all depend on situation. But if they're calling a timeout because we are just playing extremely well and things are going good, I, I, I kind of hate to change things up. I kind of mm-hmm. hate, hey, our man defense, what we're doing is going great. I hate to say, all right, let's go play zone now. Well, you know, man's what kind of got them to call a timeout to begin with. So, you know, I, I try to, you know, it depends on that. If it's, if things are just going great our way um, and there's complete momentum shift in our favor, I'll tr- typically try to keep things the way we've been doing it. But I will, if it's like late in the game and they call a timeout and it's a close game, I very well may, um, you know, switch from a man defense to a zone defense. You know, part of that may be, just uh, based off what the other coach is like, you know, what is, you know, what is their program? Is he really good at drawing upsets at halftime? Mm-hmm. Is he really, or, or after timeouts, um, what are they looking to do? Uh, you know, I, I will do things like uh, go jump, you know, uh, go jump the dribbler to change it or, you know, go trap ball screens, you know, especially if they got a guy that's really good on, on the ball and they like the ball screen and we're not doubling ball screens at that point in time. I may try to do that just so we get the ball out of their hands and maybe blow up any potential uh, play that they're doing. You know, but I, I, I still remember to this day, there was second round of the playoffs. One time we played man all game long and it was a, you know, really tight ball game. And then with, uh, you know, we were up four with two minutes to go. The guy calls a timeout, and he was excellent at drawing up plays. And I decided to switch to zone just to just to switch it up. And I will say it, it quote unquote worked for a minute because we drew up a zone that um, you know, or we had a zone defense, two threes defense. The guy took a bad three point shot. The problem was he was so bad he airballed it. They got the rebound, kicked it out to a 19% three-point shooter and makes it. And then we just, you know, it's one of those things I, maybe I didn't instruct. I still try to go back and think about it to this day. I mean, it was well over 10 years ago, but maybe I didn't emphasize enough. All right, now we're in zone. So now you've got to go hunt people down for the box out to go secure that rebound. You know, so so I've always worried about, you you know, and this is, I, I still have this conversation with myself. Do I want to change defenses? I mean, actually me switching to the zone, the guy took a terrible three-point shot. We just yeah. didn't get the rebound. Um, but that's still part of the game. And did they not get the rebound just because it was a bad air ball? Or did they not get the rebound because our guys went from always boxing out the same guy to now they were boxing, you know, someone else out? So to me, it. It, it, every game is so different on how you do that. I like to try to change things up um, to, to give them something to think about, but I don't like to change up too much if we've got the momentum going our direction. And, and you know, we go from a man to a zone or zone to the man, and that's kind of actually what they wanted because they were struggling with what we were doing initially. I, I remember a, a situation. 
I remember a situation in a in a game that I was watching. I, I wasn't coaching in it, but I was observing it, and I found it really fascinating. There was that exact situation that happened where a coach called a timeout there um, to to draw something up to to break the other team's defense, and the other team um, switched from a man to a zone. But that other coach actually called something against a zone, anticipating that they were going to change it, and they got like a couple looks off of that and a couple baskets. And it's just really, it's just really fascinating how you know, like this this chess match that occurs. But I'm kind of with you. You know, you kind of get the kind of flow of everything. I I do I think agree that I I do like to change it up, but. I'm also in the of the mind of like also like well I want to see them beat it first I want to make sure they can actually attack it and draw something up and see if that happens first before I look to react to that so it like you said it is it is kind of a challenge right oh it is a challenge and I think it goes down to that's where you know your advanced scouting of what the other team does are they really good at coming out after timeouts are they you know do they you know do they do if you're a pressure man team do they got some backdoor set that's going to fool you potentially to get an easy bucket I mean I think when you figure that out over time you'll you know that's where if you realize this coach maybe likes to do things that's why I'm, if I'm calling the timeout I call a zone set and a man play to try to figure out you know I've even done simple things where I show you know after a timeout I show I'm in a two three zone but it's really a fake two three zone and it goes into a man you know it's a little bit of the fun of like you say the coaching match uh, you know, to try to change things up. And you know, it all goes back to, you know, what is your team like? Mm-hmm. You know, may, maybe you don't want to switch anything up. Can your team handle going from one defense to the other? You know, some teams do it great. And some teams don't. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, before we, we hit um, our concluding segment here in a few minutes, you did mention off air that, that you have uh, – Maybe, maybe learned or gotten some new experiences related to timeouts over the past year. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about if anything sort of changed or were there any sort of uh, moments of growth that took place over the past year in terms of your timeout procedures? Well, I mean, I, we, had one, we had a number of different situations where I, tr- I did try to practice timeouts a lot more in, in, in practice this year and not, you know, maybe even like a scrimmage situation, like a, an odd situation might come up where there's 10 seconds left in the segment. So I said, all right, timeout, coach, you take this one team, pull up a man defense and you guys come over here and we'll draw up something. I try to find little points in practice, even if it's uh, not exactly what we're working on to just try to practice a timeout mm-hmm. situation. I mean, but there was one situation in a game where, oh, we were, as a matter of fact, we had a player, um, uh, we were down three. We took a shot and missed it. They got the rebound. We fouled him. So he, we fouled him right before he went to shoot the free throw. This was 4.1 seconds to go in the game. I called a timeout right before the referee. You know, uh, right before the referee handed him the ball. So we called the timeout to try to freeze him. We tried to give the players an idea of what to do and try, you know, players got to understand, you know, there's 4.1 seconds to go in the game. That's not a lot of time, but it's more time than I think a lot of guys, you know, think of that particular situation. Right. You know, we told our guys just, you get the rebound, kick it up. You know, we put two guys on the outside wing. We had a guy get the rebound. He dribbled up the floor two times, pitched it to one of our guys on the wing, and and made the shot. Now, I can't sit there and tell you. We drew all that up at any point in time during that timeout. We didn't. But we tried to get our players to understand, you know, 4.1 seconds is actually more time than you think. It kind of irks at me that, you know, you see it with – four or five seconds to go in the game, they dribble it on the floor and with three seconds to go, they're shooting the, they're shooting the ball at half court when you yeah. can still put the ball in the deck two or three more times and get a higher quality shot. Well, those are some things we did practice during the year. Well, the guy missed that free throw. We did kick it up. We did make a three at the buzzer to send it into overtime and really something that looked like it was well drawn up and well executed that really, I can't say that we completely did that at the timeout, but <laughs> it was the the concepts of what we tried to do over practice and time that I think gave our guys, I don't know, the right frame of mind to to execute that. And we went in to, to win the game uh, in overtime. 
So now I don't know how much of all that, but maybe that was just really good fortune on our part uh, that it led to that. Um, then there was another time, uh, you know, do you, do you call a timeout the freezing guy or not on the yeah. opposing team? I, I you know, I've <laughs> thought differently. Well, we had a situation at the end, our last regular season game of the year, referee called a foul with 0.1 seconds to go in the game and the game was tied. Um, I probably shouldn't comment too much on what I thought of the foul call, but <laughs> you know, the guy went to the free throw line. I had two timeouts to kill. So I called the first timeout He came out, shot it, missed the free throw. And it called, you know, he went out about to take the second, called another timeout. And so he, you know, and he missed it. He missed the, his second one. So all he had to do is make one of the two free throws and we were, they would have won the game, but he missed them both. Now, yeah. I don't know if it did, if he missed it because we froze him with two timeouts. Um, I'd like to think it may have had something to do with it and made him think about it. But, you know, that, that's one of those things that I promise you from now on, because it's certainly because it worked that time, I'll probably do it again. Yeah. <laughs> given the exact same uh, thing. But, you know, that, I think those are sometimes you got those are things you should practice even on the offensive end maybe you should practice that with your players get an opportunity to shoot a free throw that really i mean we try to practice that maybe at the end of practice at times all right if you miss it you know the other team's got to do sprints you know or whatever it is that they hate to do um but you know i i think things like that are are, are really important and very helpful and there was one other time you know that didn't go so well for us we were in a comeback. We were down six late, and we were had to be really aggressive. Yeah. And we were particularly aggressive pressing, and we cut it to lead. We cut it to four. Then cut it to two. And then when there was about 20, it was about 15 seconds to go in the game, and, you know, we were playing full court. I had full court pressure, and I said, all right, I don't want you to foul unless it gets under 10 seconds. If it gets under 10 seconds, then you can foul. Um, cause I want to see, maybe they'll turn it over. Well, they did. They turned it over right away. Mm -hmm. Um, so we stole it and scored with 10 seconds to go in the game. Well, at that point in time, we're still pressing with the score tied. And the problem was we didn't get back defensively and they scored late in the game to go up two. So I go back and think, you know, should we have still been in a full court pressure with the game tied late like that? Because we went from trying to, you know, play from behind to now we're tied. You know, I'm right, one of those right. that I probably, I wish I would have called a timeout then to set my defense. But, you know, I, who's to say if that was the wrong move, right move? But you know, knowing our team at the time, I probably should have called the timeout in that scenario. But the the overall sense I'm getting from from the situations you described is just the, the benefit it seems that exists when you practice this and you make you know, timeout procedures or simulate those game-like procedures in practice when, you know, it's a late game and a timeout is called. And it, and it seems like it's really been more a, a big benefit to kind of normalize those situations by practicing them. And then it's just a lot, just that much easier, right, for your team when they're actually in that situation in a game. Because in a weird way, there's almost like a comfort level because in a sense, they've sort of practiced it before. Well, I always try to give our guys, you know, scenarios in practice because we're going to see so many different scenarios in the course of a season. You know, whether sure. you're up five with a minute to go, down five with a minute to go, you want to give them solutions and things to look for and hope and what they can do to execute to either hold on for a win or or try and make a comeback. Mm -hmm. Um you know, so yeah, I I just I'm a big believer in trying to put them in different scenarios that that are realistic that you might see and tell them, hey, there's ways we can still make this happen. Or also the flip side, hey, if you don't take care of the basketball, you know, we could lose this if we don't do this a particular way. <laughs> um, so I, I I am a big believer in that. Give your guys practice situations. Um, I mean, as coaches, I mean. Why do we work on set plays in practice? We Because we the reps, you know, the more quality reps you get, the better you are going to be at executing it. Well, mm -hmm. same thing, end-of-game scenarios. If you never practice how you would handle being down two with five seconds to go, or, you know, I, the, the game of basketball is awesome. But I also know you can't practice every single scenario no. you're ever going to face. 
but you can put yourself in some fairly common uh, situations. Like I said, understand, hey, if you've got five seconds, can you go to the length of the court in five seconds with a dribble? Yes, you can. You can get better than a half court heave. You know, you're amazed at like, uh, like, you know, how long does it take to do a catch and shoot? How long, you know, if you only got two seconds to go sidelines out of bounds, can you put the ball on the floor one time? You know, some of these guys may have never necessarily, you know, you know, thought yeah, about it. Like thought of that. it that way, you know, right? Yeah, and you've got to break it down. Hey, does the other team got timeouts? If they score with less than five seconds to go and they don't have any timeouts, don't even take the ball out of bounds because they can't stop the clock. Mm-hmm. You know, you got, you know, we actually had a situation when I was in high school or in a, in a state fi- uh, semifinal situation where we had a player, they had no timeouts. They scored with four seconds to go. We had a player throw the ball in bounds quickly and foul and got, got fouled and missed a free throw. I mean, you just – I think you try to address as many scenarios yeah. as you can to give your players the best chance possible. That's that's basketball for you. And there's, there's all infinite number of possibilities, right? <laughs> uh, oh, there's there's no doubt. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's crazy. And that's the best part. Coach, to wrap up, there's a couple questions I ask every guest. So I'll go ahead and start with this first one. Uh, looking back on your coaching career, uh, you've shared a lot of great moments even from this past year, but uh, looking back in your coaching career uh, in, in totality, what is a moment from your coaching career that you think others listening can learn from? You know, I, I think, you know, one thing that I've really learned over the years is the importance of the support system and village around your program. Um mm-hmm. You know, what I mean by that, that's even your relationship with your guidance counselors, your administrators at the school, um, you know, the people that are taking tickets at, a, at, a, at the game, um, your team moms, you know, and of course, every school I've been to, the culture is a little bit different with that. Some have very active team moms, some of them, it's not a big culture, but I think the long-term success, it can help make your job a lot easier. If you've got a good group of you know, a booster club or people like that, that they'll get your pregame for you. Because all you got to do is tell them and they'll take care of it. You know, things like that. That's one less worry that maybe you don't have to, you don't have to account for. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think don't underestimate the importance of a good support system. And that could mean your athletic director. That also means your principal, your assistant principal, the teachers in the building, you know, because if you develop good relationships with them, well, maybe instead of your player, uh, getting written up and you know maybe suspended for a game or two because of school related things that they come to you first and so maybe you can hit that off before it gets to be a bigger issue um, I think that's really really important I think a lot of young coaches and I include myself on this you want to try to do so much yourself you want to try to control everything yeah I like the word as, control as much, that's what I thought of <laughs> it is yeah. what it is because you do you want to control everything uh, the reality is you probably don't control as much as you think you do Mm-mm. and certainly not as much as you want to do but i think do not underestimate the importance of the whole group of people around your program yeah i absolutely agreed and it just makes your life easier let go a little bit and and focus on on other things and, and let others who can help you take care of the other stuff and you can focus maybe more on the coaching element of it anyway which sounds like a win-win to me uh, to wrap up, Coach, I give every guest what I call a 60-second soapbox. It's your platform to get out kind of a final message, a final thought, just kind of a closing idea that you want to leave the listeners with. You can kind of take it any direction you want. And no, I don't time you, so don't worry if you go over 60 <laughs> seconds either. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, kind of give you the floor here and let you take it from here. I really can't believe I'm going to say this, but the first thing that popped in my mind is us coaches have to do a better job. And I say coaches, administrators fans at treating officials better mm-hmm. i think officiating in our game is at a critical mass point where you know i hear about so many guys not wanting to get in the game to call the game because of the abuse they're taking from parents players coaches i mean because i think about it as a as a coach what i want to call that what i want to be a basketball official no i, I actually prefer to coach but we need some highly qualified guys and girls to help be officials for our game. And I think us as coaches, we've got to do a better job of being examples of that, you know, in, in providing 
better leadership towards how we act towards the officials during the game. And I'm sure there'll be some people listening to this podcast and they're saying, I can't believe John is saying that because I've seen him act the fool at the games before. And, and I've, and I've embarrassingly have done that. I've done things and said things that I shouldn't have, but my time, I realized we've got to treat them better. You know, we've got our code of conduct has to be better. If we want better officials, then the environment for which they call a game has got to be better. Plain and simple. I, I don't think it's as simple as, hey, let's just pay them more. I, that's not so simple. You know, people don't go somewhere uh, to be treated poorly. And I think that is something we've got to do a better job, even if that's at youth games, B team games, or JV games. We got to create a better environment for them. And I think that only will make our game better. And, and in both senses, I will agree with your point and agree that people probably roll their eyes hearing me agree with that point as well. But I, I get the emails from NFHS, you know, about the critical mass, mass shortage of referees and officials. And like you said, we're kind of at this critical mass, like breaking point where, you know, we're, we're going to be in some serious trouble, especially, I don't know about in your area, but a lot of the refs in our area, they're, 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 they're older. And uh, I don't see too many uh, younger ones kind of jumping into it. And we might be faced with a, uh, pretty dire situation pretty soon if we don't uh, can make a kind of a community effort to clean things up. No doubt about it. I mean, we've, we've already had some issues where we couldn't get some games rescheduled, especially a B team or JV freshman team games because they just weren't available. I think um, we're fortunate. We're in a great area. We, we do have some really good officials, but mm -hmm. we've got, we need to get more people in our game uh, to make it better. And um you know, that's just something, and, you know, you hear the horror stories of what goes on at certain AU events, travel ball <laughs> events, and just uh, other youth basketball games. I mean, we want guys to want to come in and do it and help be a part of the game. We don't want it to be something where you, you look at them and like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, 100% agreed. Uh, Coach Combs, I want to thank you for spending some time talking about uh, not just about timeout and timeout execution, but a little bit about uh, practice planning, some late game situations, team culture, and of course, the very uh, important topic about officiating and the, the situation uh, of refereeing across the country and the ways we can do that better. So I know you're a busy person. You got a lot of things that uh, you got going on, uh, basketball related and otherwise. So uh, thank you for spending some time talking about this and best of luck going forward, coach. Really appreciate it. Well, Coach, thank you very much for you doing this and putting together a platform where coaches can exchange ideas and listen. I, I've enjoyed the podcast, listening to different people and the different topics you got, because I think that's one of the great ways that, you know, we can learn and bounce ideas off of either, each other and see how we do different things. So thank you for the, the time today and thank you for the service that you provide us coaches. Really appreciate the kind words and thank you all for listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast and we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.